passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and I am joined. Tang. Hey. Hi. What's going on? My mic. <laughs> Out. Cut. <laughs> What's wrong with my microphone, Way? Let's do this for two hours. Mm, right. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Maybe your reception would be better if you got out of the underground. That might be the problem. Maybe I'm underground and it's affecting my, my signal right now. So you know what? Maybe if I, you know what, I'm just looking now at my internet connection. Someone threw a Molotov cocktail at it. It's on fire right now. Oh, man. Wow. I didn't notice that. Sounds like sabotage. But you know what? If I learned tonight, though, that if my equipment's on fire, I'm still good for the rest of the show. We'll get through it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... Well, at least we'll we'll try not to go three hours for this. So we'll try to be, I think we'll be okay. I wonder if I check my security camera. I wonder if the people that lit it on fire went right in front of the camera to do it. I bet they did. Well, don't, you, your... don't you always have a security camera in front of your power generator? Well, I only have it on one designated place. So unless they go right in front of the camera, I wouldn't see them. But maybe they went right in front in coordination where the camera was and I, I can I can see them unless they're dressed as ninjas because then I'm gonna have to tune in next week to find out right yeah yeah how was your weekend it was good it was good it was nice um relaxing easy yours you know we it was it was good it was a nice uh rather calm weekend because I was thinking the other day that you know th- this weekend coming up it's not a crazy one but after that We've got the big uh, Cormier-Miochik fight. That's on the 15th. The weekend after that is TakeOver and SummerSlam. After that is the weekend with the New Japan Jingu Stadium and Payback card that WWE is coming back with. And then after that, it's All Out weekend. So it's going to be some very, very busy weekends after this one. Definitely. So uh, I guess enjoy this one. Well, we have uh, many, 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 many news items to discuss. So I think we're going to dive right into things. Way, when you woke up today, of the top one thousand things you expected to hear today, 
where did the rock buying the XFL with a group of partners rank? I've kind of learned to live without any expectations. So um, I can't say this was near the stratosphere of uh, what I was thinking about. Well, this was the story that this feels like hours and hours ago, which it technically was. Uh, it was a Sportico reporter by the name of Scott Soshnik, who was the first to report that The Rock, along with his business partner, Danny Garcia, uh, were partnering with Redbird Capital, led by Jerry Cardinal. And they had made a purchase of the XFL, which was set to be uh, put up for auction. But before it went for auction, they completed the sale and bought the XFL for $15 million. Mm -hmm. And they confirmed this. And we don't know what their plans are for the XFL. But I would say for $15 million, this could certainly be something that they make their investment back on. It's certainly not it, – the, the question will be like wh how, how large their plans are because obviously this is just the purchase price. What will be the further costs of running this? Do they have plans to relaunch this in the way we had seen the XFL? Do they have a wildly different idea for how to use the XFL? Because right now what they're buying is – I mean, it's, it, they, they had let go all the staff members and, and such. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it. But it's not like it's this insane figure. They caught it for a very, I would say, cheap price for when you're talking about buying the remnants of a league. I suppose so. I When you're talking about numbers that big, I really don't have a concept of what's cheap or what's not. $15 million to me sounds like it's a great deal for something that uh, I wouldn't want like it's it, it, well, it put it put it this this way okay it's obviously it could be an, like the UFC they they Zufa purchased the UFC for 2 million dollars famously yeah but they had to put so many millions in over those next years uh until they finally turned things around in 2005 so you know you look at the oh they bought it for 2 and they sold it for nearly 4 billion uh but you they know those first couple they bought the letters. That's what they were buying. And then they had to rebuild this entire sport in in essence, not just a promotion. And they put millions and millions beyond that, that initial two. Um, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see what they do with this. If they, if they land like a decent enough streaming deal or they have some concept, I mean, making that 15 back is not a crazy proposition. Well, it's not just making the 15 back, but making whatever else you sink into it back to mm -hmm. Um, I guess my question is, you know, if you're the biggest star in Hollywood at the moment, Dwayne Johnson, why wouldn't you just start your own league with your own letters uh, rather than buying the XFL? That, that to me is the biggest question. What value does the XFL, those letters and that brand still have in 2020 after at this point, two failed attempts at, um, uh, I guess, uh, starting back up and, 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 you know, how much life is, is left in, in this brand? Um, and why would Dwayne Johnson not just create his own? But I mean, obviously, they're much smarter business people than, than I. And even a, an investment of 15 million, I, I feel they wouldn't just enter unless they had a concrete idea of what they wanted to do with it. Well, when you think that Vince McMahon put in that this was from uh, a court filing earlier this year, that he had put $200 million into this. And when they pulled the plug, like it surprised a lot of people that they were that they were opting to do that because yes, it had gone down in popularity from week one, but it was still going to be a, 
a company that it, it, I think like the figure, like they were expecting the season to gross like $40 million. Obviously they were going to be running in the red, but this was not seen as this, this failure that you wouldn't ride it out and at least give it its two seasons. The, the pandemic shortened things, but at the same time, um, I, I think a lot of people were, were very stunned that the XFL just decided after two years of planning for, for this whole league caught many people off guard that they decided to go that route and, and file for bankruptcy. So, I mean, these, uh, this group, they obviously some see some value in the XFL. And I was expecting that, you know, with this auction, someone was going to take this. It's at least uh, a brand that people are familiar with, but again, it's what are you buying? They, they wiped out virtually all of their staff. And you're kind of back to square one in terms of what what you have planned for this. And to me, if if you're going to be starting this whole thing as as a as a league, then yeah, it's going to be untold millions more that would be going into this. And then you, I think that at that point you're really questioning like what is the the end goal here? Because you are talking like look at Vince McMahon, what what he put in over the course of two years. Yeah, we're also talking about, I guess, some really rich people. So, you know, for them, $15 million probably is, is not a whole lot anyway. Maybe they maybe they just want to hold on to it for now. Maybe this will be a, a big angle. Maybe he'll make a movie about it. Maybe that's the most value that you can get, that just um, a behind-the-scenes, like, a, like a, a, a scripted drama about the XFL. Forget the play. <laughs> Just take us through the last four months and and dr- dramatize it. Sure, why not? Yeah, XFL, the story behind it. Uh, so anyway, that was uh oh that w- that was one of many stories uh, today. Shifting over to AEW, uh, TNT is going to be adjusting their schedule with the NBA coming back. So this is going to affect three upcoming episodes of Dynamite, starting with the August nineteenth episode which is now going to be airing Saturday, August 22nd at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We'll get back to that. Then the August 26th episode will air the following night on Thursday, August 27th. And the Wednesday, September 16th episode will also air the following night on Thursday at 8 Eastern. We'll start with the the most interesting one, and that is the first change, because now Dynamite will be airing the same night as NXT TakeOver. Not necessarily at the same time, although takeovers have have they started recently at seven or eight? Uh, they start at seven. Okay, so at least you'll have one hour, and I, I, yeah. I mean, I would assume they would probably do some sort of takeover, uh, or sorry, some sort of kickoff to potentially go ahead. They usually do a thirty-minute kickoff, but it's, I mean, it's a, a com- it's a completely skippable thirty minutes. I, I don't imagine many people will be watching that. It, it will be interesting if NXT does anything in response to this, believing that, you know, there is a free show, or at least on cable, that's going against them. Um, I, I don't really know what NXT's options are other than adjusting the start time. Would you, if you were NXT, like, do you think that this is going to uh, impact anyone's viewing? Or do you think, you know, TakeOver's on demand, people could watch Dynamite and flip over to TakeOver? Or do you expect any, any change, like a, an 8 p.m. start time, for instance, to avoid Dynamite? I feel like there's like some marketing um, fun to be had with trying to do the whole competition thing. You know, you might even potentially raise a bit more awareness for your takeover from that AEW audience by promoting the fact that, Hey, seven o'clock 
tune into our show because we're going to have something really big going on and maybe get more people invested in that way. But I, if I was WWE, I certainly wouldn't be all that concerned because who's tracking these ratings of who's who's t- watching your takeover at 7 p.m. versus, you know, watching it on demand anyway. Like we yeah, don't There will be numbers. no scorecard for, for this the next day. Yeah, it doesn't matter. As long as people are paying your network subscription for that month to watch that takeover, then you still win. So that, to me, like the strategy shouldn't be necessarily to compete with Dynamite because Dynamite is already at a disadvantage being on a different night, six mm-hmm. o'clock on a Saturday. To me, that's nothing. Just stick to your own thing. Or in fact, like try to siphon those viewers that are tuning in on a Saturday to go over to the network to watch your thing. I mean, that was for 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 generations, the traditional res- wrestling time slot on Saturday nights at 605. But I mean, we are. We are 20 years removed from that being a, a staple of people's uh, wrestling habits on a on a Saturday night. Maybe they could have fun with that. They could. They could have uh, some fun with that. Uh, now, the August 26th episode that's going to be airing the next day, uh, Dave Meltzer had noted on Twitter today that TNT is planning to air Dynamite late that night on Wednesday and then replay it Thursday in prime time. And I find that to be a bit of a curious move because... This is being moved around for the NBA, so I don't even know if you could have, unless you put it so late that you can guarantee when it's going to start, but even more so, it almost seems like you're you're fracturing your audience because there will be those hardcores that stay up till whatever time on Wednesday night, 11 p.m., 11.30 p.m. to watch it that are not going to come back the next night to watch it in prime time. It's almost like why, why air it at this bad time slot late on a Wednesday and then replay it on the Thursday where... A, a portion of your audience is going to seek it out, whether it be Wednesday night or it'll be online Thursday morning. Right. I, I really don't know. Maybe it's a case of them wanting to, you know, try to make sure that they don't take as big of a hit as they think that they might just by airing it once on a Thursday evening. Um, it, it does remain to be seen how many people get the memo to, you know, tune in on, on a Thursday. What is that rate of conversion of like it's going to be really interesting that week, in particular for NXT, to see unopposed uh, what number they might do, uh, and really for for AEW, how many people will be willing to migrate with them over to a Thursday on you know I'm assuming they're they're going to do everything they can to try to promote it, but even so, how many people will make that move to you know dig it out of their schedule on a different type different night to to watch an AEW? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, regardless of just uh, the AEW audience how. Because we would all we would see this with WWE when they would air on a on a different night or back when Raw was two hours and they'd do a special three hour Raw. It was that first hour that did really poorly because people were so trained to tune in at nine. And will we see the AEW audience more apt to find the new time? And yeah, is is Thursday night viable? Is a Saturday at six viable? Is even if you're airing this late night episode on a Wednesday? Where it follows NXT, is there a bit of a, a a bump at all in terms of people watching hmm. NXT and then watching AEW? I don't know. I, like you can't look at these numbers as gospel because they're kind of erratic time slots for mm-hmm. three episodes. But I think interesting nonetheless. Like if they do well in any of these uh, out of normal time slots, it's it's something interesting to look at, especially when you know that there is a second show on the horizon. I do feel like there there will be something to gain from them, you know, to to see how many people are um, just strictly AEW fans who won't watch any wrestling at all on a, on a Wednesday if AEW isn't on. How many of them will migrate? Like, how many of them are hardcore enough to want to watch on another night just because it's on a different night? Um, 
yeah, I, I I think it might also tell you how many people, you know, I'm. it's an open day for NXT to like have their best showing possible for those several weeks. Yeah, and I, I would certainly think that, that that Saturday show will be a a built up show to n- knowing what they're going up against that night for wrestling fans. Yeah. Uh over the weekend, uh it was first reported by uh, Fightful that WWE is looking at another draft uh coming up this fall that has moved uh, multiple times. Um I w- I was told that the the latest plan is that they have two nights uh, scheduled for October to hold this next draft and it would seem, and this is a this is a understatement to tonight's episode of Raw, that they are coming up with whatever ratings, drawing concepts they can, and throwing them at the wall. And in their bag of tricks is a draft. And I'll say, way I thought last year's draft was an extremely underwhelming one. And I don't know, like I don't think that the brands are like people have any kind of attachment to these performers on these brands. And I, I don't know if just playing musical chairs is going to do much ratings-wise. Certainly not for me. Um, I really can't imagine this year being any sort of um, added, um, I guess, spectacle compared to last. Because last, I think you had the combination of these shows debuting on a, on a new on a new channel in Fox, and just the feeling of hope that these shows were going to actually be different. And after seeing the year that we've seen, I mean, this, this, how can you have your expectations really set that high that, that any of these rosters are ultimately mean anything? Like, especially if the, the, the content of the show and the style of the shows are all essentially going to be the same, created by the same people. It's pretty meaningless. So, um, I don't know. Uh, and any, uh, you know, any little thing, I, I, it sounds like they're like asking people, Hey, like you got band-aids at home? Like I'm running out. Can can we use your <laughs> do you have like a few band-aids in your first aid kit you can borrow and then we just have a big collection of band-aids we'll just try to slap on this thing like every single week. Um so this week was a uh, was certainly one of those. If we're just going to quick fixes, you know, you look at what is in their playbook and one that's in their playbook is authority figures. Could you see in anticipation of these drafts bringing whatever names from WWE past to install new authority figures on these shows. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you could see anything. And and certainly one of the things, key ingredients that seems to be missing right now with a lot of these shows is star power and uh, uh, bringing a a name from the past to have a weekly presence. Certainly I I could see that being one of the main uh, or, or one of the ideas that's being batted around. Yeah. It is interesting that um, I mean it's it's it was it came out over the weekend that uh, Eric Bischoff is going to be on this week's Dynamite, and I just look at that that whole like brief time he had in WWE last year, and even when they realized things were not going to work out for this guy in this role that he had been hired for, I always thought that Bischoff as a performer there could have been something utilized there. It is still going back to nostalgia and the past and there's definitely a big problem with that but i did see like eric bischoff is someone that uh was not overexposed when it came to wwe television and i mean they opted not to carve out any kind of role for him it's it's just interesting now aew at least they're using him for one week um does does wwe have any uh response to that or because we've seen them act in the past when aew has shown interest in people see a one week thing though 
I, I think is hardly a, a sign that AEW is like, you know, going to work. That we know well. of. That we know of. That we know of. You're right. I mean, yeah. it could be something bigger, but um, it would seem uncharacteristic, I would say, of AEW to like all of a sudden, you know, bring on an Eric Bischoff or some sort of similar, even like a managerial role. I mean, it's possible. Sure. They're so heavy on managers. They oh, really God. don't need yeah. any more. But, you know, like WWE, I, I think they really do understand themselves how how cliched you know, the general manager thing is at this point. And I feel like they've been trying to make a real effort of create to, to try to create shows without having to rely on that crutch. Um, and honestly, like how big of a difference would an Eric Bischoff make ratings wise? I, I don't think they're looking at anything. Like it is so clear that they are, it's week to week. They're just coming up with shiny toys this week. Shane McMahon's on TV. You know, it's like, to me, it's not as though they're looking Four months from now, it's tomorrow's number. That's the concern. Right. Uh, AEW officially announced MJF will challenge for the AEW title at All Out on September 5th. That was pretty much expected after last week's segment. And I would imagine we go off the air this Wednesday after the Moxley-Darby Allen match, and we know what our main event is for All Out. Did that promo... Because you seem kind of like haphazard about MJF going for the title that early in September, but... After the success of that segment, did that kind of change your viewpoint on that being a viable title program for a pay-per-view? Yeah, totally. Like prior to the promo this week, I mean, obviously everybody sees MJF and the talent that's there and everybody knows that guy is the, like the future of this company. He'll lead this company and, and be a future champion for years to come. I guess I had felt that he, you know, still had uh, at least, you know, a, a bit of room to grow before completely like owning that top spot but then that segment aired on on wednesday and he just commanded it so well um into the point and made like the the in particular the feud against moxley so hot in one segment that i i absolutely was convinced that he 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 could be very capable of this spot right now and uh i think going into it if they can continue to deliver segments like what we saw on wednesday uh it'll be an extremely hot program did you see any of the Women's Cup show tonight that AEW put up? Started watching it. I saw the first match. Haven't seen the second one yet. Have you? I I skimmed through it. Uh, we had Tony Schiavone and Veda Scott on commentary. Like, they had a whole new... Um, you know, uh, 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 Schiavone new being the, the regular voice. Yeah, new opening. Um, Shaw Guerrero's the ring announcer. They brought out Medusa to mm. introduce it. And then we had... Yeah, we had two matches. We had Allie and Brandy against Penelope Ford and Mel. And Tay Conti... And Anna Jay versus Nyla Rose and Arian Andrew on the show. But um, I only saw like a few pieces of feedback, but it seemed like people liked the the first effort. Although I did see a lot of complaints that this feels like it will be, at least the majority will be YouTube specific. Yeah, yeah. Seems seems like it for now. And I've seen, you know, arguments and, and defenses of that, uh, in particular from like Nyla Rose, who... You know, people, they certainly hear the criticisms about it. The fact that this is stuck on a YouTube channel. Um, Nyla contends that this is, you know, the positive here is that this is their show. This is like, you know, um, their division. Like something that focuses specifically on, on, onto them. Um, Which the 205 Live team would probably say, <laughs> you know what? You're putting a little bit too much stock in your own show. I I, I would fall more into that category myself. But you know, I I I think it's it's fine for like the first few matches to be you know on, on a on a web platform because to be quite honest with you, um, 
you're dealing with like varying levels of, of experience that um, I, I I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing to like have a lot of these matches start out on um, on, on the Internet. But when it gets down to like, you know, the, the final four, for instance, I, I, I would definitely feature some of those on 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 a dynamite. Um, but I like the presentation. Um, I I liked Vita Scott on commentary. I thought she sounded very knowledgeable and and just good with Tony. It also makes you wonder if Excalibur was originally supposed to be part of these, you know? Yeah, good question. I, I, I don't know which day this this was uh, filmed on, but yeah, that's that's a good question because Shivani would not be the person you would think off the top of your head would be the best fit for this. But mm-hmm. I, I haven't watched the whole show, so I can't really grade him. Yeah, no, I, I loved having Medusa out there. Um, Packaging-wise, I haven't seen the main event yet, so I can't really comment on it. But um, it, it's like it seems like it's a you know, good effort at trying to introduce some new faces into the, the, the division. Um, we'll see how it progresses. Uh, looking ahead to uh, Wednesday night, we pretty much have full lineups from both shows. AEW has uh, Moxley and Darby for the AEW title, the 12 man tag with all of the dark order members and Cole Cabana against Omega page, the bucks and FTR Cody and Matt Cardona against Alex Reynolds and John silver and the best friends against Santana Ortiz and a rare week where it looks like we have pretty much the whole card for NXT. It's Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner against Kyle O'Reilly in his first match back and Bobby fish for the tag titles. Keith Lee against Cameron Grimes, non-title match, Damian Priest, Oni Lorcan, and Ridge Holland in the qualifying match for the strangest ladder match we've seen recently. Bronson Reed against Shane Thorne and a number one contenders match with Rhea Ripley versus Dakota Kai. So I wonder if this is going to be uh, an NXT game plan moving forward of trying to get a lot of their matches out further in advance because usually it's like one or two matches is what NXT is built around and this week far deeper of a lineup that they have several days in advance in my opinion and i think in like just a lot of the the public you know um chatter it feels like it's one of the advantages that aew has had recently is that they've lined out their entire cards like really a week in advance so you know what to look forward to the question becomes if nxt can provide equal cards that people will look forward to as much now that you you're laying all your cards on the table who has the better hand uh and you know it's up to audiences to decide I, I I am like, I, I think, you know, pr- promotion ahead of time is always like, is it's never a bad thing. And in particular, like this week, it feels like Rich Holland on NXT, they're giving a lot of attention to uh, jumping, making the jump from NXT UK. And so even without seeing the match yet, I know he's going to be somebody that I should probably be paying attention to. Are you excited, Way, about this never open weight six man tag title tournament for the vacant Six man tag titles. Uh, no, you? <laughs> no, I am not. But they will be spread out over the four nights at Corcune Hall from Thursday through Sunday. And at the end of it, one team will emerge as the six man tag team championships. Champions. I can't yeah. wait. The, My favorite titles. Maybe this could be Master Watto's key to a title. So he's teaming up with the Golden Aces. Um, and that's certainly one of the more interesting, you know, pairings. Um, it, it, like we we kind of joke about these titles. Uh, the titles ultimately definitely mean nothing, but it doesn't mean that you can't use these matches to tell storylines that that'll lead to singles matches, right? So I, I look forward to seeing elements of that. But as far as you know, who gets to be the never open weight champions 
at, at the end, not that much interest there. And the final story over the weekend, Nikki and Brie Bella giving birth to their children a day apart, Nikki on Friday and Brie on Saturday, one day apart. That is incredible. That is incredible timing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the due dates were supposed to be. What's interesting is that Brie was actually ahead of Nikki. Oh, and okay. And then Nikki ended up having the child a day earlier than Brie. So, um, uh, geez, like, it's honestly, what can you say? Like, these things happen. My big question for you is for Total Bellas next season. You know, we we heard that they cannot get any cameras into the delivery room, so they were relying on Artem and Danielson to have to shoot that footage. Which spouse has the better camera work? With I, I don't know what they'll be shooting on, but do you go with uh, Danielson, a guy that has been around production his entire adult life in professional capacities, or do you go with? Artem, a guy who, yes, has been around production, but also, I mean, as a professional dancer, everything is about balance and Hmm. precision. And which way do you lean about who will be – and taking in the X factor of the emotion of the moment that these two uh, fathers-to-be are in the moment of. Like Danielson, this is his second go-around. For Artem, this is his first child. So you have to think of that as well. Like who's going to have the better footage and – you will be the ultimate judge of this. You make some great points, John, that I, I definitely didn't consider. Um, I was gonna... was I thinking about this over the weekend? <laughs> I definitely was after I after I thought of how this will air in probably the season finale, and I thought that is what I need to ask way. You know, the, expertise. The the gracefulness of of the dancing definitely had me swaying towards uh, Artem. But you mentioned the, I mean, the idea that this is a second child. It's like okay, I've been through this before. I've seen this already. Um, maybe I'm going to switch my vote to, uh, Brian Danielson. So we shall see, but you know what the way they edit it, I mean, it's probably just like a two second thing. Oh, she got the baby. And then like, it'll probably like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it can't be worse than what we saw tonight on raw. Okay. <laughs> it'll be guarantee you it'll be way steadier than that. Well, it, Danielson though, I mean, he could lean into like his earlier years and we, maybe he tries like two different angles and they're not color balanced. Uh, Yeah. That could be the problem. A lot of zooming in and out because it's, it's it's wild. It's two babies a day apart. I could also imagine eight months from now, Danielson's being interviewed and they ask him about having to shoot the birth of his child for Total Bellas. And his response would be something like, you know, it's interesting because I decided to do an entire online shooting course and learned how to how to how to shoot with with a camera and I spent uh, 85 days on this on this tutorial to get all of my, my shooting skills that I learned from scratch. I could imagine him doing something like that. Wow. Well, he's a man of passions. Both of them are, it seems. So, uh, yeah, we shall see this footage. But congratulations to them. Congratulations both. to both on the yeah. arrivals. That, that's pretty amazing. Like 24 hours apart. Um, so, and, well, the fact and that both giving got, uh, birth to, to boys. The fact that they got to enjoy this pregnancy together, um, like if you really, I mean, if you follow their careers, or, but if you follow their stories, like it's, it really is something that that is incredible that 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 took place here between these two, and the fact that they got to enjoy their pregnancies together, and the fact that these kids are now going to get get to grow up together, 
like in the in that in the in the house like as neighbors um yeah i'm so happy for that family total babies like get their own spinoff Ooh, uh man uh i hope they don't do that but um just have like subtitles and <laughs> Okay. Uh, all your news you can find at postwrestling.com. Uh, but uh, before we get into Raw, we do have to go over this week's schedule because, man, it's a gargantuan one. Um, you know, we had a pretty quiet weekend over uh, the past two days, but all of that changes this week. Uh, some highlights this week. On Tuesday, Andrew Thompson, the great Andrew Thompson, is going to have an interview up with Fred Yehi, which should be a really interesting chat. And Tuesday night, and you can li- you can watch that everybody at his YouTube channel. YouTube, uh, just search for Andrew Thompson on YouTube. Um, he puts a lot of really hard work into everything he does. So uh, subscribe, and he he will surely appreciate it. Uh, Tuesday night, Way and I will return with Rewind Away, and our espresso executive producer this week is Sean Pickles, and he has selected WWF Capital Carnage, nineteen ninety eight. And boy, is that a show. <laughs> it is a show deep, deep, deep into the heart of the Attitude Era from 1998. Um, it is uh, in front of a rabid UK audience. and This is the aortic valve of the heart of the Attitude Era. Sure, absolutely. You know, if you have uh, missed live crowds, if you've missed the sound of live crowds, if for some reason you miss the sound of air horns and whistles... In those crowds, um, do give the show a watch. Um, also, I didn't even realize this at the time, but uh, containing a, a rather uh, controversial and vivid moment from my teenage years, this show. Uh, yes, yes. This, this show has everything that the WWF could possibly get away with in 1998. Um, and Vince McMahon cutting one of his all-time Vince McMahon promos on these British fans. So that will be reviewed on Tuesday night. That will be available to all members of the post wrestling cafe. You sign up now, you get uh, all the bang for your buck this month with uh, tons of bonus shows, live rewind to SmackDowns every Friday, uh, lots of stuff uh, to look forward to this month. Our Rocky reviews start next Tuesday. So uh, we'll be reviewing every single Rocky film, starting with Rocky one. And that this, this all of course takes the place of our MCU reviews. Uh, but it starts on Tuesday. So um, if you sign up right now, you get that. Please leave your feedback. We're looking forward to hearing all your thoughts as well as uh, next next week's edition of Rewind Away, which is our Royal Rumble patrons pick. So John and I will be announcing two picks that we'll each have uh, probably tomorrow on tomorrow's Rewind Away. And of course, our Summer Struggle in Jingu post show. That'll take place later on in this month too, exclusively for patrons. Yes. And that also gives you access to all the archives, all past... Uh, the the last 66 episodes of Rewind Away at your disposal as soon as you sign up. Thursday, Martin Bushby is back with the British Wrestling Experience, and he's going to be joining uh, be joined by three guests, Kristen Brinkerhoff, Florence Bullock, and Liv Heller. And they're going to be reviewing the WWF Rebellion 2001 card. So a lot of, a lot of WWE British shows coming up this week uh, in terms of being uh, – being reviewed and uh, Martin has informed me that uh, Benno and Jamesy, they will be making uh, their return in a couple of weeks. Friday, uh, we've got our live rewind to SmackDown and I was bored over the past week. So we are going to go in a time capsule back to August the 7th, 2010. The night was UFC 117 
Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen, and we are going to go back and relive the buildup to that very uh, monumental fight at the time 10 years ago. So it is a, a special post-profile looking at Silva versus Sonnen 10 years later. When some people are bored, you know, they like to, I don't know, play video games. Uh, some maybe like to bake. Some people just like to sit around on the couch. John Pollock makes audio documentaries of incredible quality. I've had a chance to listen to this. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a great trip down to through what I, what is probably my favorite MMA fight of all time. I remember, really? yeah, I remember being there actually with you watching this fight. And that's right, we watched it at a bar together, and you stormed out of that bar at the end because you were so pissed off. It was really, it was like it, we were just fans. Like that's what this fight made us. Like it just made us like you know, like take our journalist hats off and just be like marks for like, man, this epic build. So uh, you did a great job, John. I can't wait for everybody to to listen to the, your latest pros profile. And then the week uh, rounds out with a, a double shot of WH Park. On Saturday, it is post pro res and myself and WH, we're going to be joined by Dylan Fox from the Eastern Lariat podcast. We're going to chat the uh, the latest news items, but we're also, we put a thread up on the forum. WH has posted it and we're going to take uh, subjects. Uh, you can post your questions and the three of us will answer them. Uh, any Japanese wrestling related questions uh what have you you can post there and we will be taking those on the show so looking forward to having dylan on the show and then wh comes back sunday with the long and winding royal road and his guest this month is independent wrestling sensation daniel makabe and they will be reviewing the january 1992 match involving jumbo saruta and akira tawe against suyoshi kikuchi and kenta kobashi so what a loaded week a ton of guests uh spread out throughout all of the shows so uh a very packed week at postwrestling.com as well as the Post Wrestling Cafe. You know, uh, we do it for the truck drivers, but uh, we also do it for anybody who's at home having to, to do chores. Man, like, thank God for podcasts because, like, I don't, I, I don't have, a, like, an electric dishwasher, so I manually wash all my dish- dishes. Without podcasts, I wouldn't be able to get through any chores at all. Like, I've, I've, been, I've, I've been weeding, like, pulling weeds. God, that sucks. And uh, I have to thank podcasting for getting me through all these things. So we do it for the people who have to do chores. That is who we, we do it for. So thank you to all of you out there. Now we move on over to Raw. Oh, I forgot our biggest news item of the whole weekend. What's that? Happy birthday goes out to James Ting. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. I w- How could I start off this show and uh, this Raw review without a proper happy birthday to friend of the show, family of the show, James Ting? I did not expect that. I was not going to mention it myself, but yes, it is my big brother's birthday, um, and it is a very significant birthday. For his own sake, I won't mention uh, how old he's turning, but it is a very big one in his life. So yeah, a very happy birthday. Wow, John, how, how did you know? Wait, I'm on top of everything, okay? Damn. Uh, it's okay. my job to dig through and get to the get the facts, and that that was uh, right, right here. Happy birthday to James Ting at the top of my notes. Yeah, Hurrah. well, everybody, give him a follow on Instagram, James Ting eight zero eight eight zero eight. Yeah, like does the, your other like brother also have a Twitter handle with numbers at the end? Is that like a, a Ting family a trait? He actually does, um, <laughs> but that's just a coincidence, you know. But what is eight zero eight? 
Uh, like the TR-808, the drum machine. He's a, he's a music producer. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Very cool. Okay, let's get into Raw. There will be a lot to discuss on this particular episode. Uh, they did their tapings today. They were taping tonight's episode and next week's. And uh, we did see reports coming out today that it seemed like it was uh, quite the day at the Performance Center. I heard that too, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it's always, you know, makes me curious to see the finished product. But watching the finished product today, did how much did you? How much of a sense did you get that things were as crazy as they were? I mean, it's at the end of the day, I think that there is a level of insanity that comes with WWE, especially during this this period. Um, I would say that, like, certainly this was an episode that more than um, uh, chaos or stuff being kind of just out of left field or such, it more so it just felt like there is a level desperation or it just a, a certain panic i think is what you could take away from the show that we are searching for anything that can hit with our audience and we are throwing a lot at the wall that was my biggest takeaway from this show same here it felt very much like a almost like an attitude era show in that like it felt like there was a conscious effort in every segment to almost give you like a hey what's coming up next type of feeling which i would say like they were certainly you know at least in that sense like successful with um, the big question is, you know, whether or not a lot of these things will, will be stuck to and, and, uh, whether a lot of these things will pay off. Uh, that is my biggest concern. So if there are complaints and criticisms about, you know, directions being changed, uh, I, I guess it, that remains to be seen. And patience as well. If tomorrow's number comes out and it's a dismal third hour, do they have the patience to have uh, a conv- like whether you're pro or con about this raw underground idea? They, the decision was made to go with this. And does one bad number uh, deter you from moving forward for this? Is this? It's a shiny toy this week and a bad number completely. Uh, Vince McMahon's interest is gone. And obviously you have to go through with whatever's taped for next week. But the next tapings, uh, it, it died in the numbers. We're moving on. Like that to me is a bigger problem that even when you have an idea, it's sticking with that idea, whether there's a positive or negative response to it. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know, John, like I, I feel like next week we're going to see a completely, well, I guess not next week, but the, like two weeks from now, we're going to see a mm-hmm. completely different set of gimmicks. Which their, their next tapings, those will be the go home shows going into SummerSlam. Right. So the show begins as Tom is welcoming us, Tom Phillips, and the lights start dimming and Tom apologizes because something must have gone wrong in the truck. And that was the start of our show. Apollo Crews comes out his first time since June that see, he has been I, on see, TV. I'm watching all this, and the best thing I, I like to watch is Samoa Joe's face. Like, Fuck. I don't know what he's thinking. Like, as he's going through all this, he just looked at least here. The, like, and it fits with the character too. But he just looks like totally unfazed. Like, I'm not. I'm not gonna sell for this shit. <laughs> the lights go dark as Apollo is doing his entrance and. T- <laughs> Tom blames it on the weather, <laughs> bringing up technical problems. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? So it's Apollo Crews and MVP, the match that we have waited and waited and waited for. MVP cuts a promo. He's the real champion. Apollo didn't show up at the pay-per-view. And their feud ends tonight. And then Apollo can go back to catering. And Byron, just uh, taking from the departed EC3, says that he's trying to control the narrative. Oh, Okay. 
MVP, we start off, we got like a preview of Raw Underground here because MVP took his back and then Cruz reversed into his guard. And then MVP's trying to transition to an Oma Plata and then Cruz goes for a jackknife cover for a two count before he takes a running boot to the face. Lashley and MVP, or sorry, Lashley and Benjamin pulled MVP to the floor. And then Cruz hits a somersault dive. We go through the break. MVP's working on his neck, but then Cruz, quote, gets the momentum flowing. And the splash is hit in the corner. Spine buster. Cruz then fires up after taking a released German and hits him. I've missed this call. The toss powerbomb. And he pins MVP. Apollo Cruz, your undisputed United States double champion. Uh, yeah, we you know certainly thought that this might be the end to this feud, but um, apparently not. And I, I thought the match was, you know, fine. Um, honestly, it wasn't that much that stood out to me. I, I thought it was perfectly fine. Um, did it make me want to see a third one? Didn't not, didn't leave me with that conclusion. Yeah. No, I can't really say so uh, either. Um, now, what if it was an underground match? Well, maybe they're going to go underground. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, sea level. MVP doesn't have the advantage, but <laughs> underground. That's That should have been, this should have been Kane. Everyone talked about, you know, Kane, elevation Kane. The answer to that, underground Kane. Underground Kane. Okay. Yeah. Cardio um, would have been just uh, phenomenal. Well, well certainly, you know, it, underground Dolph tonight looked amazing. Well, because he's a dolphin. <laughs> that That is... Well, wouldn't see. I guess sea level wouldn't work. The dolphin. Yeah. Lashley goes for the full Nelson, but Cruz slips out and leaves with both belts. Charlie then interviews Apollo. He talks about Lashley's strength, and his kids said that they thought he was the champion, but he didn't have the belt. Now he can tell them Daddy is the U.S. champion, and he's going to hang the old U.S. title in his children's room, and he's going to take the new title that MVP bought. So. Cruz held these double titles for about as long as Keith Lee did. Mm. Well, he has less reason to, I suppose, right? Like, these are just, it's the same thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought Apollo showed a lot of personality in this interview. I thought he showed a lot of personality in the match. Uh, you know, and perhaps it is just the the, the, the several weeks of absences where it, it, he de- definitely does feel a little cooled down from where he was. And maybe that's why the match didn't feel as important to me of a of an accomplishment for the guy because the feud has cooled down so much. MVP is ringside and he complains about the lights flickering and this being an unsafe working environment, which I mean it was was rich when you look at the past couple of months. He says huh. Cruz didn't show up at the pay-per-view. He stole his title tonight and he doesn't care about Apollo's wife or kids, but he cares about his rematch and he wants it at SummerSlam. Now I watch this, and, and sometimes I, I will admit I miss things on Raw. And I was like, did did we get the lights flickering in that closing sequence? So I went back. No, we did not. And I thought that could have been at least some like justification for this guy to be to have an argument mm-hmm. against us. But there was none of that. So um the lights flickered during Apollo's entrance, and that is MVP's clutch, uh <laughs> or his crutch, I should say. Um, to get this rematch, which, I mean, to his point, he got the rematch, so I guess say la vie. There were moments, like, in the match while he had, like, a headlock on or something that, that the lights flickered. I mean, but I just talked that up to more, more like, more so heel logic. Um, and Apollo just wanted to give him a rematch either way. But as I said, it, 
the match was okay. It hardly made me want to see another one, though. Like, by this point, I thought they would move on to Apollo and Lashley, especially for a show as big as SummerSlam. But, um, you know, going back to this, which I'm honestly a little surprised by, and at this point, not as interested in. Yeah, I would say even, like, even if you want to keep Lashley away from this for whatever reason, like, at this point, like, I would just want something fresh, like even Shelton in this role at right. this point. It just seems like we've done the MVP match, and it's just odd. Like, MVP from the beginning just felt like he was being plugged in place. And, man, we're just going going and going with MVP. Mm-hmm. But I guess they got to do the rubber match. Like, he beat Cruz, then lost here. So that's that's the big it's – the, it's their Cormier-Stipe fight. But, like, the big blow-off to me was, like, who who can unite the belts? And none of the belts are united. Um feels like there's less reason to to just do another one unless it was underground we then go to a mysterious locker room that is barely lit that has a bodyguard in front of it and we are just told that this is the brainchild of shane mcmahon stay tuned yeah we've got something fucked up (laughs) stay tuned sarah schreiber spoke with bailey and sasha banks who were the subject of the latest day of that i did watch and it was very heavily in character. Mm. Right. Was it good, though? Uh, I mean, not really. I, I really don't like these features where it, it's if you enjoy Bailey and Sasha on TV, it's an extension of that beyond like a few serious answers from Sasha about wrestling without fans. But I mean, it's largely these two just getting their promo chops down and being comfortable in their voices for a segment like this. It's 13 minutes. I mean, if you have the time to spare, I don't think you'll get much out of it. Okay. It was funny at the very end of it. This is uh, from Extreme Rules where Sasha gets the disputed win over Asuka, takes the title, and then outside she promises the biggest celebration Raw has ever seen coming up tomorrow night, which we definitely did not get. And I would imagine she had no clue what she was doing the next night on Raw when she just had this throwaway line. So, did they attempt a celebration at least? Like, wasn't that when, like, somebody ran in? Or am I mistaken? Uh, I can't remember even, like, a celebration segment. Like, I'm sure, like, they came out and then they did something with... Didn't... Was that the week that Kyrie beat Bailey? Maybe. And then the following week was Kyrie's write-off. Yeah, sure. I I think. Anyway. Bailey calls Sarah, uh, Sarah Schreiber's questions boring, and they go to a video highlighting their attack on Kyrie. But the video ends with Asuka saying, revenge will be very, very sweet. And Banks and Bailey freak out that someone has edited their video. And Baszler, Shayna Baszler, walks in. She has waited long enough, and then she cracks Sasha in the face with a right hand and makes her intentions known that she is coming for Sasha Banks. I I I like this a lot. It was Shayna walking in and just decking Sasha immediately, I think, showing the level that Shayna is at, or at least in terms of confidence. She is somebody who's not afraid to go up to the champion and to, to just knock her out. To me, it's a nice and simple way of showing the character that Shayna Baszler should be and the level that she should be situated at in the division. Kevin Owens is backstage, and he runs into the Iconics. They want to be on the Kevin Owens show, but he says... Not tonight. I've already booked guests. And the best line here was him telling them, like, the segment is next. And he said, 
I do plan these things. <laughs> I thought that was very funny that we've got a segment coming up. You think I'm just d- doing this off the top of my head, inviting people to come on my show? Um, so we have the KO show and his mic is cutting off. At this point, like I get what they're doing, that the their equipment is all being fucked around with. But God damn it, was this annoying by this point? The the point is made. I, I guess for believability's sake, you have to keep it going throughout, don't you? To to just continue to remind people. I was I was getting annoyed by these, but I will say I did not hate the idea that okay, we are explain. There is a mystery going on mm-hmm. that is leading you. Mm-hmm. Problem was we we never got to any to me satisfying reveal that made up for the fact of all this shit that was all these annoying glitches that we had to deal with. To me, that was not satisfying at the end. We have to wait and see if, if, if it keeps going, if they keep the mystery going, who are the, these, these people dressed up as the ninjas who did this? Well, is that, is this something they'll continue to pursue next week? I think it's 50, 50 that we could see these ninjas never be seen again beyond next week's show. Possible to. Uh, so Kevin Owens brings out Ruby Riot to talk about her win over Peyton Royce, and she explains why she was so emotional when she won because she has not she has had a lot of bad luck since returning. She hadn't won a singles match since February, and calls the Iconics toxic, sad broads. And she finally put an end to the iconic bullshit, and she wishes Liv Morgan was there with her last week. So Owen says, "Oh, Liv Morgan, she's coming out next." And this is very un-WWE, where usually it's like the surprise entrance, but he's like, hey, she's right here. So out comes Morgan. and He does plan these things. He does plan them, so you're right. We can't get any surprises on the Kevin Owens show. She wants to hear what Ruby has to say, and Owens plays his own term, guidance counselor, where he says he saw the Riot Squad starting out. Sarah has now moved on to a, a new part of her life. And they are great individuals that bring out the best in each other. And Kevin has done some crappy things to people and lost friendships because he thought it would be better for his career. But now he's not so sure it was worth it. And he just thinks that Liv should hear Ruby out. And Ruby says that when I came back, I thought things would be the same. But then I realized you were thriving and you didn't need me anymore. And Liv beat Ruby twice. And Ruby was not ready for this reality. And she took it out on Liv. She mentions their debut date tattoos that they got, and she wants another chance for the Riot Squad to be stronger than ever. And before Liv can respond to this, the Iconics come out, stating no one cares. Liv, you should have stayed in the bathtub. They're tired of Ruby's social media posts after beating Peyton last week. They had more mic issues here, and they are better than the two of them. And Liv says... You two might be more iconic, but no one starts a riot better than us. Which is a funny line because Way and I once got into a street fight where the two of us said that together in unison as well. Yeah. Riot. Riot better than us. Owens wants them to leave and then Royce challenges them to a match. And this leads to Peyton slapping Owens. He requests more technical difficulties, and Billy Kay slaps Owen. So poor Owen's here. Just got the shit slapped out of him. And then Morgan and Riot jumped them, and we had an impromptu Riot, which thankfully uh, just descended into a regular wrestling match. 
I really like the story they were telling here. Um, unfortunately, one of the the, the big problems that uh, uh, you know with with uh, Ruby and, and Liv's uh, like story over the past year was just the, the lack of, I think, attention put into like a Riot Squad breakup. I mean, by the time that they had, I guess, gone off of TV, they decided to re-debut Liv Morgan as a solo act, and then then they and then they brought back Ruby Riot. Hoping to like rekindle some of that, but they immediately went for the turn, and it it ultimately felt incredibly rushed and unsatisfying. So this felt like an attempt at them trying to tie a lot of those loose ends together, um, and 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 reconnecting these two, so that maybe in the future they can do a proper breakup. I I so I enjoyed enjoy it all. Like I loved Ruby's reasoning about how. You know, I came back and it seemed like you didn't need me anymore and I, I took it out on you. That type of thing was cool. But God, like anytime I try to hear somebody try to act by like nearly crying while delivering That's all this, tough. I found that part pretty cringy. Unfortunately, you have to be a really good actor, I think, to, to be able to pull it off. And I think I think Ruby Rat tried, but it, it, it came across, yeah, like kind of difficult <laughs> to, to watch. Um, but the story was strong, and I thought the iconics were great. Their personalities came out so flawlessly. I thought they played great antagonists to set up this reunion. Kevin Owens was on commentary for a tag match and no- notes that they knocked out a filling. And when Billy Kay hits a neck breaker, he notes that that was inspired by William Regal. Uh, they got the heat on Ruby until she super kicks Billy, tags in Liv, and she catches Billy Kay with a roll up in 234. And after the match, they are attacking live and they go for their uh their their magic killer i can't remember what they call this thing and ruby makes the save saving live and they lay out billy k they have an awkward stare at one another and then they come together with a double team sto onto billy k yeah so the riot squad is back and uh we have another tag team i guess to fill the spot of the kabuki warriors who are no longer active um do you think that they could be a team that might finally on seat banks and bailey i don't see them taking those tag titles off those two anytime soon but that could be a, maybe a post SummerSlam program you go with i i thought that they did a lot in this one segment in terms of like i know liv's been gone for a long time so maybe they are just trying to speed up where plans had been set for these two but it just felt like Within the span of 10 minutes, we went from Liv not wanting anything to do with her, doing Kevin Owens a favor by appearing here, and by the end of it, it's like, all's forgotten. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, And if we're not in a rush to get to somewhere, then oh, you could have maybe stretched this out a little, but whatever, that's a small thing. Life moves fast in the WWE. you got to make some big decisions. I, I, I don't disagree with you. At the same time... I, I guess I'll say, like, if they did drag this on for another week, oh, will Liv Morgan, you know, uh, accept Ruby's friendship again? I guess I just don't know how much uh, confidence I have that they'll be able to maintain that interest because it, it, it was such a poorly put-together breakup to begin with that can you really, like, hook people to feel that sort of sympathy? Or is it just better to get it over with and pair these two up so that you could probably do it again in the future? Charlie was doing a lot of reporting on Monday night, and she mentions there was a near accident earlier tonight. There was a loud noise, and some large boxes fell, but no one was hurt. But there were some rumors that this was not an accident, and that those boxes were pushed. 
This sounded like the least severe incident I can possibly describe. MVP stops her and says it's a much bigger story about the glitches in the lighting during his match with Cruz. And then Charlie interrupts to tell him that Apollo has accepted the rematch at SummerSlam. Shelton runs in and says, someone stole my 24-7 title. A, a lot of activity during these um, Charlie Caruso segments this week. Yeah, a lot of exposition here. Mm-hmm. Drew McIntyre comes out. He says that Orton compared himself to Austin and The Rock, but he's not like Austin, who just uh, made his feelings known with a middle finger or The Rock using the people's elbow. Orton waits until your match is over and then hits you with an RKO out of nowhere. But Drew blames himself. He was warned ahead of time that was coming. And he brings up how Vince McMahon called both of them the chosen ones at a certain point in history and the future of the industry. But he brings up Edge's criticism, saying this was not Orton's plan A. He didn't grow up in Scotland dreaming of this and representing his country, which would have been very difficult for Randy Orton, a native of St. Louis, to pull off. He says this was handed to Randy, and his early accolades were fed to Randy because of who his dad was. And he brings up the influence that Evolution had, cleaning up his mistakes, and saying, unlike me... You weren't fired, and you should have been fired for a lot of your mistakes, and you had people that that cleaned up after your crap legitimately that you left behind, huh. and Orton should have been fired. And the one of the many stories uh, that follow Randy Orton uh, was a story that was later debunked by the person in question. Uh, her name was uh, Rochelle Lowen, and she was one of the... Uh, I think one of the the Diva Search women. And there had been the story that Randy Orton had left something in her bag. And it had gone around that this was a excrement. And she later denied that that is what she, that he put in her bag. That instead it was uh, some kind of like uh, uh, lotion of some sort or uh, tanning, tanning oil. Something like that in her bag. But she had, she had no nice things as of 2005, to say about uh, Randy Orton. But that was, I think, what Drew was referring to here. I have heard so many, like, iterations of that story involving, like, various other people attached to Randy Orton. And um, it's it's almost, like, become urban legend. And I love that Drew <laughs> referenced it here. Um, maybe we'll get, like, an actual, like, WWE documentary about it someday. Oh, Dark Side of the Ring. Dark Side of the Ring. What was in the bag? Randy and Ric Flair come out. Ric Flair is back this week. Orton says, I've made my money, so I want to be here. I like kicking people in the head. Orton agrees, I should have been fired multiple times, but I wasn't because I'm more valuable to WWE than you ever will be. And that's why I've been given chance after chance after chance. I'm the real chosen one. McIntyre then says, Orton, you represent everything that's wrong with WWE. I was watching the last ride about The Undertaker pulling talent like Randy up to his level because he loves this industry and is taking care of the future and asks, when have you ever picked anyone up to your level? You don't pass on knowledge. And he names off guys in the locker room. And then he brings up an incident from 10 years ago when Drew was in the dreaded catering area. And Drew's world was crumbling, professionally and personally. His mother was sick, 
And Randy walked past him and didn't say anything to him. And he could have said something to Drew, and it might have made a big impact on what was going on for him. But no, Randy's a selfish prick. And at SummerSlam, I've got a whole bunch of receipts to cash in from past and present stars. I'm going to rip your head off, and you're going to see it coming. I love this segment. I thought it was uh, a series of great promos. First of all, from Drew, a great rebuttal from Orton, and an even more outstanding rebuttal from Drew on top of that. I thought it was really well written, you know, and encompassed a lot of believable history shared between the two men. Uh, Drew calling Orton out for always getting second chances despite his screw ups, while Drew was uh, fired for for I guess you know I guess one big screw up according to to his narrative. And then Orton saying that he deserved those second chances because he was way more important than Drew ever was. Um, I I thought it was uh, really well put together, like finding that kind of like connective tissue shared between the two and why this guy might have a grudge with this guy's backstory. Really great delivery from both men. Uh, we all knew how great Randy Orton was. And I certainly like, you know, could tell that Drew was good. But I feel like this was Drew McIntyre's first big test on the mic, one-on-one in a speaking setting against somebody on the level of a Randy Orton. And he absolutely held his own. Great confidence, great delivery. Uh, I was, you know, after like last week's RKO, I was almost concerned that if there were fans in attendance, that the fans would start to turn on Drew. But after seeing a performance like this, man, I I don't think it would have happened at all. Like, because Drew definitely like came across like the badass, like the type of baby face you want to stand up against a cool heel like Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. Totally. He, um... I think Drew is just great in the in this role. I thought this was a really strong segment. And granted, we have several weeks and we don't know what the whole card is, but this is the only thing that feels big for SummerSlam at the moment. At the moment, yeah. What else is there? I guess Bray and Braun again. Bray and Braun again. And uh, the Street Profits and Andrade and Garza. It Sasha, Asuka, like- another rematch. And then Dominic and Rollins. Yeah. No. Which, I mean, they have been building. But to me, like, this feels like the big thing at SummerSlam. Like, this feels like an important match between these two. And it's a first ever. Or at least first of this iteration. When do they do the contract signing? Next week or the following Monday? Um, they Wouldn't they promote that this week? So maybe it's next week. The, yeah. yeah. How many contract signings before SummerSlam? Oh, maybe you'll get some joint contract signings like we got. Uh, we did get the joint one a few weeks ago. Yep. Wow. A lot of contracts to sign. Then backstage, uh, this week, Pat Buck got a name, and he was with Nia Jax. But then we go to Owens with Ruby and Liv, and this is when Ric Flair walks up, and they all fist bump. And Ric Flair <laughs> just says, hey, Kevin Owens, French guy, uh, Edward Carpentier, <laughs> Mad Dog Vachon. Like, like, if Ric Flair came up to you, way I mean, oh like, what? God, oh, I shudder to think. Uh, so he oh says, Owens, you're too worried about helping others and not about helping yourself. This is where Owen says, I'm not a guidance counselor, but I've heard a lot of people to get that top spot. I'm trying to take a different way to be a locker room leader, kind of like what Randy could do if he had wanted to. And Flair, his reaction to this was, I need to let that breathe, brother. I need to let that breathe. I'm in Randy's corner here. I'm in Randy's corner. And he has some advice that Owens needs to listen to. 
You mind your own business. You take care of Kevin Owens, and maybe you'll get a title match at SummerSlam. And Owens then makes the challenge. At first, I thought he was going to challenge Rick here to a match, but instead he is challenging Randy Orton for a match next week to show him what fight he has in him. I'll say this. There was the longest time where Ric Flair on a WWE-produced piece, or on WWE television, it was almost painful that here you have one of the great promos of all time, and he was reduced to so little, but the last time he was on TV with the big show, and here, it feels like Ric Flair has gotten at least more leeway, because I thought he was great again here. Not to the level of that that big show segment a few weeks ago, where I thought he was tremendous, um, but this feels a lot more natural uh, of this you know, this this old veteran who's just a prick. I completely agree. Um, it, it feels like lately he's just kind of found his groove back. And when you consider all the craziness that's been going on in his personal life, he, this period would, I feel like, be a period where I wouldn't expect to see, like, you know, Flair feel as confident on screen as he has. But um, he has. And that's all, you know... Like, I don't want to minimize the fact that he should not be here. Does not need to be here for this. I, I know he fulfills a role, but he it's not like Orton needs him in this. It's not like you couldn't have Owens challenge Orton without him being there. Nonetheless, the guy chooses to be there. And if we're commenting on his performance, yes, he did a great job. Yeah, the only thing this could have used would be Owens at the end saying, you know, when you go to Starbucks, wear a fucking mask. Oh, man. Well, yeah. Nia Jax is with Pat Buck in the ring, and Nia calls Buck a runt that couldn't cut it in his career, and she's offering Buck the chance to prove she's wrong by having a match right now. Buck says, I was just out here for an apology. Nia says, you'll get it after the match, and I'll start slow so your little legs can keep up. Buck says Jax is now indefinitely suspended without pay and tears down his suit jacket so his arms are trapped and shoves him to the ground. And poor Pat Buck is just laying there as she storms off. This is a very strange segment. I, I wasn't she already suspended last week, or where? she was fined. Last oh, week. she was fined last week. Oh, so now she's indefinitely suspended. Okay, so this seems to take her out from SummerSlam. You'd imagine. I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looked like it's hard for me to tell because, like, it looked like she was going to be paired with Shayna. And then Shayna, um, this felt week. like it was that, that that is a program that certainly felt like it was totally rejigged this week because Shayna and Nia, there was no follow up to that on tonight's show. And this, yeah, this feel this felt like just writing off Nia for several weeks. Right, right, yeah. So uh, who knows what's going on? Our truth runs out. He's chased by Tozawa and the Ninjas. Benjamin's out, and we have a three way for the twenty four seven title. Uh, MVP and Lashley are ringside, and the most notable thing about this match was that they quickly plugged the R-Truth game show on the WWE Network. Do you know who his guest is tomorrow? No. Who? Roman Reigns. And really? they did not they did, they did not promote that. And wow. whether whether they don't want to call attention to, hey, Roman Reigns is not showing up for TV, but he's on this game show, or what? I don't know what it was, but... I thought that was kind of interesting that they they specifically plugged this game show and not the fact that Reigns is on this thing. 
It is interesting. Like their their whole, I think, philosophy around like the lack of mention of, of Roman in in anything that they're they're doing, I I, I find really interesting. And it's not necessarily like it doesn't have to be uh, a negative, you know, reason. It could just simply be them wanting to hold the back mentions of Roman Reigns until he comes back. But I, but who knows what it could be? Um, yeah, it's fascinating. So we had a three way match. This Tozawa gimmick is just it's death. It's just death every single week. Truth misses a scissors kick. Benjamin hit the pay dirt. One of the ninjas flips off the ropes and gets hit with a Benjamin boot. MVP and Lashley take out the other ninjas. And then Tozawa pins Truth with a senton off the top in 208. So Tozawa wins the title. Yeah. So what was the point this week? Just to get the belt off of Shelton so they can be pissed off? Sure. I guess. Okay. Then we go to Shane McMahon, who is in the... The backstage ring where the ropes are down and he introduces us to Raw Underground coming up in the third hour. Specifically like 10 o'clock. Like, don't Ooh. leave for the third hour, everybody. This is going to be something crazy at 10 o'clock. Yes. After our viewership last week fell underground to the lowest hour ever, this is our answer. Dudes fighting with multiple camera cuts. Sarah interviews Dominic and asks, why do you keep showing up here when your father is recovering from globe luxation? Dom says he witnessed his dad be blinded. And since then, my mind hasn't been in the right place. And if you think I was crazy before, wait till you think how, wait till you realize how crazy I am when I challenge Seth Rollins to a match at SummerSlam. So there we go. Mm-hmm. 15 yeah. years later, Dominic, when his the ownership of Dominic was held above a ladder, now the man's going to be wrestling at SummerSlam. That's going to be quite the documentary they make on him one day. Yes. Sasha Banks and, and Shayna Baszler, non-title match. Uh, they went 450. Uh, Banks slaps Baszler at the beginning, and then Baszler slams her down and goes to wind up with a kick to the back but holds up, which they said was mind games. Then Shayna hits her with a leg kick, starts stomping her hand, and then there's a double underhook into the armbar by Baszler, who works completely differently. Baszler then grabs at Bailey on the floor, and this allows Sasha to capitalize and run her into the post and injure her arm. Baszler then rolls through into a backbreaker, where she it seemed like they kind of had it off, but it, it looked fine. Baszler then goes to stomp the elbow, but Banks rolls into the bank statement. Baszler prevents her from getting the grip and gets to her feet. There's a tilt-to-whirl head scissors by Banks, but then takes a knee. And Asuka runs out, attacking Bailey on the floor. And this causes the disqualification. I didn't understand this finish at all, other than we can't beat either woman. So let's have Bailey get attacked, and that's the DQ. This made no sense. I mean, None. like, last... <laughs> Usually you can attack anybody ringside, no problem, as long as they're like not they're not involved in the match. Like last week when Kyrie attacked Bailey, like that should have been a DQ, shouldn't it? What about when Bailey attacked Kyrie last week on the on the screen? Uh, yeah, what, yeah. What's what? What are That's what is what the meant. the physical distance you have to be from the ring before the the person in your corner is in in getting involved with someone also who isn't in the match? What I don't get is that Oscar ended up attacking Sasha anyway. So the match was thrown out anyway. Um, why do it so early when before she had, she touched one of the legal participants? So I mean that part was really inconsistent. But otherwise, 
you know, and this was a preview of, I think, uh, for a lot of people, myself included, a dream match within the women's division. I thought what we got five minutes of it was really good. Some really good submission chaining here between two people who I think are are able to uh, demonstrate that that aspect of like professional wrestling a little bit better than some of the others in, in this uh, women's division. Uh, it was really exciting, and I, I I look forward to seeing like a full match down the line between these two. Because Shayna like has her own unique style. She doesn't wrestle like everybody else, and I think mm-hmm. that that's such a breath of fresh air. Absolutely, yeah, and and it it like works towards Sasha's strengths as well. So man, like the mix here on Raw could really be excellent if they really wanted to wanted to like between Sasha, Oscar. Uh, uh, Shayna Baszler, you know, being in here, Bianca Belair, like this women's roster on Raw is stacked, but for some reason the booking doesn't necessarily take full advantage of it. Uh, so afterwards, Banks uh, gets to the floor and leaves with Bailey. We had a SmackDown promo, which is built around the question: What is the fate of Alexa Bliss? Tune in Friday. I think she lived. Charlie's in the ring with Oscar, and. Charlie goes to Asuka. Um, because it happened in the least watched hour in Raw history, uh, let's see what happened last week. And we replayed the whole angle with Kyrie. And Asuka's response was, Kyrie will be okay, but now she's not here. Sasha and Bailey are here, and I'm here. So, so they're not doing the career ending injury thing anymore? Well, the promo that aired all week was the career ending attack on Kyrie Sane. But here it was Kyrie will be okay. But I don't see her coming back. Maybe she means she'll she'll be okay in life, but she won't she's, she, she's going to live. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Asuka wants a rematch with Sasha for the title at SummerSlam. Baszler, we cut to her. She's been in the ring this whole time, just chilling out watching this video package. She said, I'm cheering for you, Asuka, to win back the title from Sasha, because afterwards, I'm going to dismember you and take the title from you. Asuka says, you know, you could just beat me and take the title, too. You don't have to dismember me. Banks and Bailey come out again, and Sasha will give Asuka the rematch if you can beat Bailey. And this time, it's Bailey that is caught off guard. So Asuka needs to beat the SmackDown Women's Champion to get a shot at the Raw Women's Champion at <laughs> SummerSlam. Next yeah. week will be presumably non-title. So to get to this match, we have to beat Bailey again. Yeah, I really hate Boy. that. It, it really like makes the, the uh, Kyrie beating Bailey from two weeks ago that much more perplexing. It, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, I could stomach a Bailey loss to Asuka a little bit better if she had beaten Kyrie, but the fact that she is coming off of a loss and now, you know, you would expect would have to lose again to Asuka to set up that match for SummerSlam, it 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 sucks for Bailey. Uh unless of course they come up with some order some sort of shitty DQ finish, which they can very well do. Uh yeah. I mean, I guess there's a possibility we could end with some because we got all these women now in this title picture, and it seems so confusing where you've introduced Shayna she's now in that mix and they've kind of positioned her as getting the winner of all this but I could certainly see a scenario where all four end up in this match well don't forget payback it's coming like the week right after SummerSlam so I I took this more as like Shayna setting herself up for for the Asuka match at at payback 
What would it just seems strange that Bailey is like what's Bailey's direction unless she ends up in this match somehow at SummerSlam? Like Bailey doesn't have an opponent that's ready, even though she uh, set a clear one up with Kyrie. Right, right. Well, maybe one will emerge. I mean, may, again, like maybe that's something they're saving for payback. Maybe it's going to be Naomi, but Naomi has to beat Lacey first. I don't know. Angel Garza is in the back with essential personnel on set. Demi Burnett from The Bachelor. She had to be here tonight. Is she the bat? She's one of the contestants. Yes, I'm guessing. contestant on The Bachelor. Got it. Okay. So Angel's giving her a rose. Andrade and Zelina walk in and say she doesn't belong here. Uh, Garza's going to get her a seat for the match, which turned out to be standing in front of a monitor backstage. Then we go back to Shane in the underground setup where we've got not just fighters way, but we've got the TNA dancers as well. Uh, Sure. TNA dancers, I guess. ECW dancers from sci-fi. Yes. God. Can you describe how this thing looks? Imagine trying to put together a, a gritty underground type of, Fight club, Fight club, and then WWE produces it. Yeah. That's what you got here, where this felt like a soundstage that was so beautifully lit with 5,000 camera angles shot throughout this, and Shane McMahon playing Ryan Seacrest. Pretty An much. aging one at that. Yeah. I, I think, like, the whole thing is, is like, exactly, I think, what you would expect of WWE, like, attempting to do some sort of Fight Club thing. And I think, it overall, it was, like, it was fine. The dancers were, like, to me, I guess, like, by the end of it, I wasn't really sure what they were going for. Were they going for, like, the most cliched fight club type of thing you would you could think of? Not ironically. Yeah, you don't think so, eh? No. I think this was <laughs> clearly, like, oh, this is edgy. God, it's, like, Women. exactly an old man's idea of what kids might like. Well, in, like this, is a, this is an old man's idea. Yeah. Then we are introduced... To my favorite WWE name generator outcome, Daba Kato, the former Baba Tunde. Daba Kato. Yaba Daba Kato. <laughs> okay. So he is this monster that just. So I had been given like some indication of what this idea was. And. I think, you know, throughout the day, uh, reporter John Elba had kind of indicated, like, what this was going to be. And, like, do you want to describe it? Like, it's it's pretty much their idea of, like, a fight club where it is, like, painfully obvious worked fights, obviously. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, it's exactly that. It's like an underground sort of no ropes barbed wire thing. It's a warehouse and everybody's, like, ringside cheering it on like it's some sort of secret secret society. And these are essentially like it is like the beginning of a it's like an action s- scene almost like or it's like every movie. <laughs> it's like blood sport. It's like every movie where somebody walks into an underground thing. And it's they no holds people. barred. So, any one of those fucking B movies where like the, the protagonist walks into the secret place and people are betting on fights. And it's like <laughs> one dude knocking out another dude very quickly. It's an announcer like. You know, announcing this this really deadly guy from someplace. 
Like every like I, I know that Vince McMahon has watched UFC in the past, but it is interesting. Like this is his idea of combat sports or a, a, an environment like what he thinks of fo- like real fights. Yeah, no technique involved. It's like usually like a one punch knockout or maybe like a big thudding throw. You can um, kick dudes to the floor. You just throw in a new opponent. They just are just these machines that can just plow through guys. Yeah, and it's somebody yelling, stop, the f- stop, stop. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Stop. So Daba Kato just murders these two dudes. The last one with short elbows, and the segment ends with, man, Shane McMahon is really on to something. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I, like I said, John, I couldn't tell if they were like just trying to do a parody of it or if they were trying to be serious. 100% what? not. They, they were totally doing this oh, serious. God. But okay. I think I, – I, I totally believe that they were doing this – uh, tongue firmly planted out of cheek. Well, what I, what I can tell you was, was like immediately, I think, uh, told me that they were trying to treat this seriously was the fucking camera zooming in and out and the camera cutting oh. was just nonstop here. This is, you can you can tell like this is like their idea of showing something is unpredictable. And uh, this was not scripted. This is not supposed to happen. Our cameramen weren't aware of this. There's no way they could control their cameras. <laughs> they, there's no way they could hold the, these things stable. Can you they imagine if they had this. just like found Vince McMahon's laptop and bookmarked like World Star and just sent this guy down a rabbit hole oh, of man. like that's, there, that's there's a, a way you, you could do this and and shoot it in a in a very un WWE way, but they, they are completely handcuffed to the way they do television. Like their way is the only way. It's the best way. And that's why you're not going to get any kind of variance that a WWE look is going to get out of this this narrow box of how we shoot our television. Like, it's got to be beautifully lit, and you're going to have a seizure by the end of it. Just as I think it's really difficult to try to get a bad actor to try to read and play like a script that is, you know, that calls for them to cry and really emote. It's really difficult to try to get a good cameraman to pretend that they're bad. Because it's just not what they're naturally used to doing. It's not what they're trained to doing. And instead, you get a very bad impression of what it, me- it might mean to be a bad camera person. And in this case, it's wild cutting back and forth. It's zooming in and out. It's just intentional shaking. That's just, oh, God. Like, by this point, like, we're talking years now of these complaints. And yet, they're still, like, they love it. They must love it in the truck. Uh, we'll come back to this. We're going to have multiple raw underground segments. The Street Profits come out. Dawkins uh, starts hitting on uh, or making a pass at Demi Burnett of The Bachelor. Why she was on this show, I can't quite tell you, other than it felt like it was just some kind of... T- Isn't she, to promote is she, this. Is she not on an upcoming season or something? Uh, she is, I, 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 dude, I don't know who Demi Burnett is, so I can't, I can't even tell you like, this isn't a USA show. Um, I don't know. She was just here. Then they make fun of Andrade and Garza. Uh, they made some, uh, Jada Pinkett, Will Smith jokes about entanglements and then the glasses come off and they're done playing nice. So what we were going to have were two singles matches. The first one being Angelo Dawkins and Angel Garza. So Garza is thrown into the post. Then, uh, we go through a break Demi is watching backstage with the Rose, and I think this is the last we saw of her, correct? Do we ever see her again? Um, I don't remember. I don't think so. 
The pants get torn off, wing clipper is blocked, and then there's a twisting splash by Dawkins, but then we cut ringside. Montez Ford collapses on the floor, and he's down. Dawkins is concerned, turns around into a kick, seated drop kick, and Angel Garza pins Angelo Dawkins. So we better go to commercial. We come back, and the match has begun, and Tom Phillips informs us that Montez Ford, quote, shook off that impairment. I had actually, like, gone to, like, grab myself a drink. Uh, Are like you sure water. you made sure what was in the drink? I think it was just water. But then I came back, and all of a sudden, this match took place. And I was like, man, did I miss a whole chunk of story? Because, like, you know, typically if something like this happens, they'd bring out the EMTs. And, like, it'd be the whole thing. But Montez Ford was suddenly in the ring about to have this match. So, what made this so crazy and... I have a hard time imagining that um, Vince McMahon would have been on top of a, such a story, but maybe it, it came out of it, is that over the weekend on the UFC card, minutes before they were supposed to fight, Trevin Giles fainted backstage at the UFC card. And guess what? He did not shake off that impairment and get sent into the cage to fight Kevin Holland. The commission waved off the fight, and it was not happening. And here... Uh, Montez Ford. I'm just glad WWE uh, was not in charge of the fight night card on Saturday. Ooh, right. Because uh, could you imagine that underground UFC underground? It, it would just be barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. So Ford is in the middle of uh, taking a beating, but then he makes his comeback. So he couldn't have been that impaired. Uh, he hits a Topicon hero. Uh, all the effects of uh, being poisoned. And then shakes the ropes, but gets dizzy, and he faints again, and the bell is called at five minutes. So they call for the doctor, and we just cut away to Murphy, who's watching his work from last week, where he took out Aleister Black's eyeball. He's with Rollins, who assures Murphy he made the right decision, the past is the past, and when he's asked about Dominic's challenge, Murphy says, it's ridiculous, he's never had a match, and Seth just smiles. This is where, like, this show really reminded me of, like, an Attitude Era show. It's just, like, crazy shit happening, like, one segment after another. And... A man just collapsed <laughs> from poison. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think that's good and bad. Certainly, like, we have way more talking points. Uh, there are going to be people listening to this review that's like, oh, my God, is John just making this shit up, up right now? He's not, everybody. Like, this actually happened on the show. Montez Ford fainted in several segments and then continued to wrestle. Um they're certainly trying a lot of new ideas, and let's see what sticks. He shook off that impairment. Then we go back to Shane and the dancers. The dancers are arguing, and Shane says there are no rules. They can fight next week. Okay. All right. They did not tee this up, though, when they plugged the matches for next week, so I don't know if we'll get the dancers or not. You can't tee up an underground match. I mean, it's spontaneous. Oh, I didn't realize Eric of the Viking Raiders is ready for the next fight. And he gets a takedown, hits a big slam, then gives him a, a shoot German suplex, kicks him to the floor. The guy is sent back in, and then we got Eric's work knee that he uses and uh, wins after drilling him in the head. So they establish that like people on the roster can participate in this raw underground thing. Yes. And you know, I'll say, man, I thought Eric looked awesome here. One Listen, there, there is definitely a way to utilize certain guys who are so goofy in a much more serious light and 
get over some of their offense in this scenario. Well, I'm I like, why don't you say that? Why didn't you just let this dude wrestle this way with this intensity in a real match? Because you know? at the end of this fight, I was like, can this guy sing or not? I need to know. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Can he throw an axe? The fuck can I draw money if I don't know if this guy can do karaoke or not? Fuck. All I know yeah. is he can win a fight. Well, listen, if it, if it means this underground thing allows us to see some of these guys in a more serious light, let's, uh, hey, let's, let's, let's do it. It's, it's almost as if like they're doing the brawl for all, but worked this time. Well, thank God. Yeah. If that's all you can say. Um, Charlie has no new info on Ford. Garza walks up to her with the Rose, followed by Vega and Andrade. They're concerned about Montez Ford. And then Vega wonders, what does this mean for the tag titles? Because we got SummerSlam coming up. Dawkins comes out of the room, of the doctor slash trainer's room, and says that Ford might have been poisoned before the match. Bianca then comes out, and she's pissed, and confronts Vega to come clean. I'm giving you one chance. I know you're the brains of this operation. Vega denies it, and Bianca takes her earrings off, and she's ready to go to town. Bianca Belair is such a star. She was the best thing in this completely stupid story. She made this whole thing worthwhile. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Like, the whole thing is, like, so ridiculous. And when Dawkins walked out of here trying to look really sad, and the words coming out out of his mouth were, he might have been poisoned (laughs) before the match. I Like, I started howling. Like, this thing was so ridiculous. But then Bianca comes out and like a pissed off Bianca is like uh, something I'll watch at any day of the week for for uh, as long as I want. The way she like the way Zelina was like, a, you know, like responding to her and Bianca is like not even having it. She's just casually taking her earrings off before attacking. I thought she was so great. So she made it worthwhile completely. How could they find out so like in five minutes that he was poisoned? Like it was there a, 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 an, an immediate urine test or like a hmm. blood sample? I guess you you ask, hey, did you what, what did you do differently? Oh, I, I was drank. poisoned before the match. Maybe <laughs> no. you would say like, oh, I drank this mysterious bottle of fluid before my my match this week. I don't know. I don't know how they would have poisoned him. Now, now t- to their point, when he did do the promo, he did take a sip from his red cup and he did give it a weird look. Oh, so they, did, they did that much at least. There you go. Okay, attention. Although to it detail. didn't really take effect till two segments later. Uh, come on, that's how long it takes poison to activate. Well, I shouldn't say that. It, it took effect. He had the first collapse, but then he made multiple comebacks in the match. So I don't know how that's effective how this poison was. That's how strong the guy was. is. That's how great his will is. He's a superstar athlete. Have you ever fainted in your life? I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I must have. Yeah. I, have, I, I yeah, fainted I a few times in my life. Yeah. I've, I well, never have done a Topicon hero, though, moments later. Well, that's why you'll never be a star athlete. Boy, you've just uh, you've just put my self confidence at uh, last week's uh, third hour levels. Well, I mean, with proper training, maybe. No, it's over. Oh God! Then we had our security footage. So all all afternoon, I should say, they teed up that a new faction is arriving on Raw. This ended up being one of the major things they promoted uh, in the the hours leading up to Raw. And our payoff was microphone slips, lights being dimmed, and security footage where 
these dudes dressed up as the ninja. First of all, whoever came up with the costuming here to make them look identical to the the fucking idiot ninjas should just be I, completely embarrassed. I mean, that has to be intentional, don't you think? Well, then it's it's stupid right from the get go. I mean, it's like they're trying to frame the ninjas. Think about that story. They're trying to frame the ninjas. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. So these guys show up and they light this equipment on fire with a Molotov cocktail. Of course. And run away. Yes. That all makes sense. No identity, but here is our here is our new faction way. The the arsonists. I didn't realize that this was uh the, the, the big faction thing. I thought that was just like the riot squad or something. Um okay, so this well, is they they did say no one no one causes a riot. Than more than us, so maybe maybe they're working in concert. So maybe more a bigger riot squad than we thought here. Yes or uh, no? Does WWE know who these people are yet, or are they figuring oh, it out as they go? I definitely think do. They have people specifically for these roles. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say that th- those people might change uh, several times in the uh, weeks ahead. <laughs> who are the candidates right now? I got to say, anyway. it's got to be the hacker. Come on. Like what? What sort of like you know? Like who? Who is daring enough to do all this shit? But a guy who's willing to hack. What a comeback for him, huh? Pins the U.S. champion, gets killed by Lashley last week off TV this week. So maybe that's it. Maybe this is like you know. Is maybe this he an- hacked his own dude, attack? Is this Antifa? <laughs> is this their take on Antifa? If oh there's anyone that I want telling a uh uh. <laughs> A widespread, uh, making a widespread political commentary on the state of the United States right now in 2020. It's uh, 70 plus year old Vince McMahon. Anyway, um, I yeah, I, I I I hope they see this through. I hope this isn't become. But you know, like if if history, you know, is, is to be learned from, these mysteries will probably, the answers will probably change a number of ways. I just hope there's a payoff at the end. Charlie is with the Hurt Business, and <laughs> Charlie's whole interview here is reminding them how shitty their night has been. MVP cuts her off. You call this journalism? <laughs> there have been Molotov cocktails thrown at power generators tonight. There have been glitches, and the show is being sabotaged. Shelton then asks, is it a coincidence that all of this is happening the same night as Raw Underground debuts? And I think every viewer was saying, yes, that is a coincidence. MVP has a plan. They are going to go to the soundstage where Raw Underground is taking place. They are going to walk 200 feet to this closed set. Next week, we've got Bailey and Asuka, where Asuka's got to beat the champion to get a shot at the other champion. And Randy Orton is going to murder Kevin Owens. Oh, God, I hope not. That su- I mean, I- Owens is not... I guess probably won't have a match. Um, yeah. At SummerSlam, I mean. Doesn't feel like it. Owens is in such a weird role. He he's just feels like he's the guidance counselor. That's his role, to just help out people, including getting their programs over. And in this case, it might be Orton next week. They did a long recap of the Rollins and Ray feud. And Rollins and Murphy come out. And Rollins addresses Tom Phillips, asking him, are you a professional? Are you an unbiased journalist? And asked what he did when Ray's stupid kid attacked him with a kendo stick last week. 
he answers that Tom cheered him on. And as Seth is cutting this promo on Tom, these hecklers are getting out of control in the crowd. Like, they are, like, trying to drown out Seth on this promo. Like, I'd get annoyed if I was Rollins trying to, like, you're you're just, like, yelling over his promo. Hmm. But maybe they're instructed to be asshole fans. Or just instructed to, like, you know, react as if you would if you were fans. He said it's Tom's job to call it down the middle, not create bias, because then you're a liability. And therefore, we need a new voice of Raw. And then he summons Murphy to please take this man's eye out. And there, Samoa Joe stands up. And he says, that's not happening. And he tells him to go back into the ring. The headset comes off. And they challenge Joe to get into the ring. And we go to commercial. We come back. Rollins and Murphy have chairs. And Joe is getting ready to enter when Dominic runs in from behind, attacking them with the kendo stick. And then this was like a Three Stooges routine because Murphy and Rollins would run at Dominic and miss him. Rollins flew onto the second rope where he took a 619 and then Dominic hit a high cross to both men on the floor and got a pretty good amount of height here. And Rollins then accepts the match for SummerSlam. I really like this. Uh, I loved Samoa Joe coming up here and standing up, doing the the standing up for the bully type of thing. I feel like he just did that, didn't he? Didn't he do it against Brock? Or was yes. that Dio Madden? No, no, no. That was Dio Madden, who coincidentally is about to make his return. But didn't Joe do something similar? Or am I mistaken? Maybe I'm Madden. Mistaken. Madden stood up for uh, Joe. Probably did. You're probably right. Did he stand up for Lawler? Madden stood up for Lawler. Madden got killed by Brock. That's yes. what I remember that happened with those two. Right. Okay. Um, well, I, either way, I like it whenever they they do it, so I don't even mind that if it is a recycled thing, because Joe is just such a such a badass, and I absolutely think there's something poetic here. Having Joe, like one of Dominic's original tormentors when he was feeding with Ray. Now, oh yeah. <laughs> now siding with Dominic, I thought that was great. Uh, I, I guess you know I'm a little unsure if like Joe is done with this feud or if like this actually means it's a it's a return. What do you think? I couldn't get a good sense. Well, by the end of this segment, I realized that Rollins has programs with Dominic, Ray, Joe, and Alistair Black. Yes, he does. Yes. But does this mean Joe comes back or not? I thought if, if you were going to do that, you would set this up to be a tag match for SummerSlam. More so, I think that there's a curiosity to do Rollins and Dominic just because what's that going to look like? But yeah. to and me, just... Story. It is the story. I get that. But I think that's a lot to put on Dominic where you've got to go at least 10, 12 minutes for a Rollins pay-per-view match. That That's a lot to put on Dominic, unless you have a lot of bells and whistles like Ray showing up. You can get Joe involved. Black could get involved. There's a lot of shortcuts you can do rather than have Dominic just do 12 minutes. But in this, like, Dominic's done very well in the mm-hmm. segments where – Every time he's been given stuff, and there was quite a bit here that he had to do and not blow up and show fire, like he is, you know, he's he's passed the obstacles that he's been given. I completely agree with you. Any anytime he's been set up to like come back out for these, I guess like big bursts, include like involving these dives and, and whatnot. He's he's always delivered. So I I mean you're you're gonna have a match against anybody. It better be against Seth Rollins, who if you're gonna trust anybody to have like a solid ten minute match. And I feel like at this point, it, because the story is strong, that I think they're Dominic will be more than capable of like having that 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 type of performance. It like the involvement of guys like Black and Joe are is interesting to me. On the one hand, I really enjoy it, but on the other hand, I mean 
you're kind of setting these guys up as like, you know, setup guys for Dominic. And that to me seems a little bit wasteful. So I don't know if this was just a one-off with like Samoa Joe. By the end of the segment, it kind of felt like it. Yeah. And I mean, unless they have some great idea for Joe, I do not want to see him taken off commentary. I think he's great. Um, Just to lose to Rollins to set up. That's it. I mean, if it's for such a trivial reason, then you could come up with any other babyface to throw into that position. Right. Tom is just silent as Byron and Joe react to this. And then Tom gives the funniest fist bump to Joe for uh, standing up for him here. So um, kind of uh, playing off a uh, very, very famous angle in Mid-Atlantic when Roddy Piper did this, when he was on commentary with uh, Gordon Soley and Don Morocco was was the bully to Soley and Piper stood up for him. Um, I mean, th- this angle usually gets over where the uh, the pseudo heel announcer stands up for the, the baby face. And I, mm-hmm. I, I liked it here. Like Joe... Joe is really good in this role. Um, yeah. He's good in all the roles. I thought he would have been a great Raw Underground host, more so than Shane. Um, He probably would have been good at that, too. Yeah, There was absolutely no explanation for uh, Shane leaving WWE being the last uh, time we saw him when he lost Owens. Remember that? Um, No, not really. Was that Loser Leaves SmackDown or was that Loser Leaves WWE? Uh, I forget. So did they. Well, he's technically not in WWE. He's in an underground. Oh, he's operation. in the underground. Okay, right, right. This is uh, this is airing on a foreign promotions television. Mm-hmm. Final segment is uh, Dolph Ziggler has made his way to the underground, and he's just beating up a dude. Rolls to mount and flattens the dude and finishes him with elbows and a rear naked choke, and then the hurt business appear. MVP says that Raw Underground is under new management. They now control it, which is a hell of a way to take over something. You just announce it. Uh, they came to fight and asks who wants to take on Lashley. And he murders a dude. MVP says, Wasn't I'm this next. guy from Everrise? Uh, it might have been. Yeah. I didn't catch the identity here. It might have been one of the Everrise guys. Uh, MVP's next. He murders a guy. And then we get the returning Dio Madden who is the foil for Shelton Benjamin, who is nailed with knees to the body. And the former, uh, one of the voices of Raw is uh, just left for dead. As the Hurt Business just beat the shit out of everyone on the floor. They stand tall in the ring. Man, including uh, poor Isaiah Swerve Scott here, just getting destroyed. Yep, yep. Uh, And he just, uh, just won like a match on NXT last week. Like they're pushing this guy for like a Cruiserweight title shot. Hmm. So Shane signs off. Can't wait to see what we come up with next week. And MVP says business is booming. And that's how the show ends with their brand new concept of Raw Underground. What a what a show this was. I can't say this was a slow episode of Raw or it dragged. But my God, did it just feel like we are... No idea is getting turned down is what it feels like. Like we will do anything at this point. And it comes across that they it's like panic. Like any idea is we're open to anything. Yeah, sure. You know, you had, uh, of course, Raw Underground. You had a McMahon coming back. You had Montez Ford fainting. Um, What else did you get here? uh, Antifa. um, (laughs) Shit turning on, on and off. It was wild. 
And on some level, I actually really enjoyed it because it was, you know, spontaneous and it definitely gave you the feeling that like you didn't know what was coming next. And I think that overall feeling of experimentation and spontaneity is a positive about the show. But much like the Attitude Era, some things work and some things do not. Um, this underground thing, it feels on the surface incredibly dated and incredibly cliched. But I'll say, like at the end of the show, if it's all done as a backdrop for the Hurt Business to like to promote the Hurt Business and to push the Hurt Business as sort of like their playground where they can dominate a bunch of guys and tell stories like with them as the centerpiece, I think it could be a good thing. Um, I'll say this about the segments, okay? It's we've watched some god awful comedy this year that serves no purpose and makes guys look like idiots. At least you can say about tonight's segments that with uh, Yabba Dabba, uh, Eric, uh, the Hurt Business, and even Dolph, like you had an idea to make these guys come across like legitimate badasses. Like that was the intent of those segments. So I can't, I can't fault them for at least having an idea of we're trying to create some stars here in a different way. Now, if I tell you two months from now, uh, beginning of October, first week of October, had they shelved this concept by then? Yes. <laughs> no way <laughs> this is going going on for that long. Come on. I I mean, listen, please prove me wrong, WWE, but like, you know, your track record has shown me that like ideas, I, I guess this, you know, like, like this don't really last that long. Um, but I'm let's let's keep an open mind for now. Let's see how they carry on. I think we can at least expect it for one more week because they'll be continuing these tapings. Um, but I, I think they'll give this a, a few weeks at least. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this was the biggest push we have seen for a third hour. Like they were trying everything to keep this third hour up. So that makes it interesting how this third hour holds up. I don't have much faith. Anything is going to hold that that third hour. But the bar is so low. It's pretty much don't be the least watched hour in the history of raw. And therefore it's a success. Like that's how low the bar is for this third hour tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest obstacle uh, as a viewer of all three hours is the fact that it is three hours. Like it, 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 there were, there was a lot of craziness on the show, but it still certainly felt felt mm, felt like a long show by the end of it. So um, we'll see how it affects the ratings. Uh, as far as positives on the show, I really enjoyed the Orton Drew segment. Asuka Sasha seems to be in decent shape, and the uh, the Dominic stuff seems seems to be in decent shape too. Yeah, I I enjoyed all the the Orton and Drew stuff. Uh, the rest, um, you know, I I just I I think the point you make about you don't know where everything's going. Like there is a certain spontaneity you want to have, but I would say of a larger picture. I don't know if they necessarily know where they're going two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. I think things are so erratic and that comes across in the program to me that one week we get Shayna and Naya just brawling all over the place. And this week that doesn't exist. And I think that there's a lot of that where plans are constantly changing. And I think it's going to be very frustrating if you're someone there that that's a writer and you try to craft out these ideas and you know, it's all at the whim of someone at the top snapping their fingers and saying, Done. We're not doing that anymore. We're doing this. Uh, we're we're doing uh, we're doing Antifa and we're doing underground fights next week. Huh? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Write it out. Like that's essentially what the job is. Where that's how erratic things can be. And I think that that is reflected on their programming. Where 
What are we doing on SmackDown? Uh, it's the fate of Alexa Bliss. That's what we've got this week. Like, if you're coming out of Raw, that's that's your hook for Friday. Yeah, it's insane. I can't imagine, like, working behind the scenes on these types of shows, having to, like, put these sets together, put these scripts together, and to do this type of instruction on just uh, such such a short notice. It's, it, that really someday is, like, the book I want to read. Or it's, the documentary. It's, it's tough, and it's like they're, you know, that... I know that people try and carve out like long-term plans, but like it's all at the whim of one person that all of that. And that's been the story for years and years when writers have gotten out of that system. Like it Mm -hmm. is consistent. The, the level of like the attention span of Vince McMahon and that you are all, you can book six months out and by week four, that could be all out the window. Um, And I think we're seeing that almost at a peak is what it feels at the uh, now i think the game right now is just like to try to attract people with like big announcements to just get them curious and um do you think today worked uh, i guess judging by like the level of buzz that this episode raw received i think for the people watching the show they came out of it with a lot of opinions and things to talk about i do think they take they way overvalue a couple tweets that come out Monday afternoon that are going to make any discernible difference in who is tuning into their show. Like had they, even if they didn't announce it on raw last Monday, but by midweek you were promoting Shane McMahon and a new concept that would be redefining the third hour and that we would have a new faction coming and promoting all that for a week. uh, That to me would have made a difference. But I think a tweet at Monday at two o'clock PM I think they they overvalue how impactful that is that I think you're just appealing to your bubble that's already tuning in. Well, I will say as far as feedback goes, we do have more feedback this week, more votes than we have in the prior two editions of Raw. So um, that's just, you know, our little bubble, of course. And we shall see if that extends to the ratings tomorrow. Well, if there's one thing we can say about uh, the current state of things, uh, the the forthcoming generation – Living inside of a bubble is now a good thing. No, I guess so. Tonight's show gets a 4.72. So, yes, more feedback, but it also was a low rating. So we will see what everyone had to say here. Let's, uh, let's zip through this. Paul from New Jersey, I've been waiting for the McIntyre-Orton feud, and it's delivering so far. The Iconics and Owens were great together. Then Raw Underground happened. I simply do not know who this is for. I found that in the glitches all night to be pretty lackluster. Aaron from Brampton. The, my intended plan for tonight was to watch the Habs-Pens game. And for the most part, I did. However, I started to second-guess my choice when I switched over to Raw during a commercial break. Within seconds, I found out there was an underground fight club, Montez Ford was poisoned, Naya was suspended, and the security cameras picked up some vandalism. I thought there was a chance that Montreal could tie their game and take it to OT, but Pittsburgh made it 2-0, so I quickly jumped to Raw. Say what you want about this show, but the WWE seemed like they were on a mission to make this Raw as, as eventful as possible. This is the type of urgency I notice in most episodes of Dynamite, and I don't even watch AEW consistently. And something Raw has been missing for some time. Now that sports are back, I hope WWE pushes this hard to deliver a good show. Okay, um, let's go down. Let's go to MJ. I had Raw on mute while working tonight, and at one point I looked up and saw Shane. I saw he was announced for Raw, and then there was a new faction. Is Shane McMahon really the best person to be running WWE's Fight Club? Are they actually doing a Fight Club segment each week? I give it three weeks. That new stable looks a lot like the one that's been around the last month or so. Raw Creative is on par with TNA during the Aces and Eights. He asks, these are tape shows, so why are they cutting to commercial as Joe is about to fight Seth, only to come back and the heels have chairs waiting in the ring? 
Um, because they probably assume that people won't be asking questions like that. All right, we yep. got we got a Jackie from Orlando who says, uh, "I have to be honest and say, despite my frustrations with this company, this is the most I've enjoyed an episode of Broad in a long time." Not to say this is indicative of any immediate change to the show as we have seen great weeks followed by terrible ones, but I think the show felt fresh against the landscape of typical WWE programming. The highlight for me were the promos. Across the board, I thought everyone did a phenomenal job and by wrestling standards really brought their acting chops. Not a ton of pure wrestling, but that's what I think SummerSlam should be for. The general consensus online seems to be the underground was bad. I can't help but appreciate WWE trying something that got people to tune in for that third hour. I feel if AEW or any other company had presented something similar, people would have been okay. But I guess wrestling fans have been burned one too many times before by this company. Shocked at how low the rating for this show is. Guess the board hates Raw. What do you guys think? You know, well, we're at the two-hour mark. Yeah, so. we've you listened to the rest of the show. Andrew from Cape Breton. We got a lot of announcements tonight. Turns out the stable we got is a roving band of disgruntled... <laughs> Disgruntled electricians who were messing with the power while dressed up like Akira Tozawa's ninjas. Great. Tonight was a weird show, but let's get on to what everyone wants to talk about. I think Raw Underground has potential. I hate the strippers in the Fight Club look. If you want something ridiculous from the early 2000s, just listen to the Freddy Got Fingered review. We don't need to bring back TNA's cage dancers from the Asylum days. However, with how many shooters you have on the roster, this could be a vehicle to get guys over. Dolph Ziggler looked better doing faux MMA than he's looked since he won the world title in 2013. Eric looked great even after weeks of being a part of a dumb gimmick. It can work. I don't believe it's telling the audience this is real. Everything else is fake as they were facing nameless guys for the most part. I will say that like that was always uh, of the 5,000 problems with Brawl for All. Uh, one of them was that, hey, these are real. Everything else is bullshit. Whereas this, I mean, this was so pro wrestling and it's like it was like MMA pro wrestling that maybe th- that approach to it was like with the over the top slams. Like they, they weren't even trying to uh, sway you into even questioning what these were. And maybe that works as a whole for the program, even if it's, uh, you know, what they're trying to sell here. I, I, I mean, I do look forward to seeing how they do like star versus star matches rather than just, you know, jobber matches that we saw today. Will they do competitive back and forth shoot style faux MMA types of matches? Or are they still going to be like, you know, essentially action scenes that are like one move, two moves, like, Punch, punch, oh, knockout, stop the match, stop the match. Is it going to be like that? Because then I would be disappointed. But at the same time, how willing, like, I'm not expecting blood sport here. I'm not expecting UWFI here um, because I don't think that type of wrestling is palatable to Vince McMahon. Uh, nor do, would I wonder if it would be palatable to, like, a USA audience. But how far will they go towards it? Will they even go towards it? Uh, I'm curious to see. And I don't disagree with you, but to that point, that is also why I feel long-term, I cannot imagine that they go all the way with Shayna Baszler. Like, I think that there is a limit of where this woman is going to go on the WWE main roster. Like, I think that's, it's such a weird, like, I love that she's so different, but that to me is her biggest disadvantage is she's so different. But she's worked. It's not, she's not like, you know, she's not even like, you know, um, like Zack Sabre Jr. Like she, you can apply her style to like a WWE style and I think have spectacular matches. We've seen that. Um, Like clearly she is being utilized now. I hope it continues because I think she's a great addition to that women's division. I just wonder if, you know, she doesn't, doesn't fit their, their quote unquote 
style that, you know, they, they want to change her around. And when she ultimately has to do all the different like backstage stuff and do other things that it's going to be a losing battle in terms of her keeping that, that uniqueness about her that she's been great with. Maybe this underground is, is going to be her thing. Maybe she'll be there. I don't know. But, you know, she's got, like, she's convinced everybody but one person, it seems like. And, um, yeah, well, well, hopefully Vince has turned a corner on her. Maybe she'll lose her last name, and then that'll be a bridge. Shayna. Okay. Well, listen, like, Rhonda's style worked. You know, and, like, Shayna's isn't, isn't that far off. Rhonda was a very unique case. And Shayna Baszler, unfortunately, is not Rhonda Rousey. But, I mean, we, we will see. Like, let's uh, can be optimistic. My turn? Okay, we got a Brian from New York who says, I can't say I had high hopes for the first segment, but I'm ready to give underground the underground stuff a few weeks to see if it leads to something bigger after the rest of what it looked like. Eric looked great in his short fight, and so did Ziggler, and ultimately it seemed like a good spot to build to the hurt, to build the hurt business, and perhaps this winds up being the thing that gets Lashley ready for a Brock match. So I'm willing to see where it goes. Hell, we keep wanting to see them take the show outside of the Performance Center set, so at least it's a bit refreshing. Let's just get rid of the dancers, though. Raw flowed well. McIntyre and Norton had a great back and forth, and I'm genuinely excited to see how a Dominic Mysterio match goes at SummerSlam. That's a, Brian makes another great point. You know, like the, the fact that visually the show gets a little stale just seeing this for three hours by having more stuff outside of the arena. I guess in, at this point in the back with something that looks looks drastically different. I think that's a positive. Yeah, it was either Underground or Wrestle House. That yeah, or um, the fire like a swamp. Would be the swamp. Okay, let's go to Charles. Oh my goodness, what did I just watch? This Raw was horrible. If only MVP and Shelton had their championship matches in the Raw Underground, then they would have stayed champions. But Randy Orton and Drew's confrontation and promo by them was good. Not looking forward to Bailey and Oscar next week. Alex from England says this was the first time I've watched Raw in over a year, and the thing that really stood out to me is just how long the show goes on for. I've no <laughs> idea how you guys do it every week. <laughs> it's long. I think. I think hey, like, it's worse for him. He was in England watching this. That is true. He says, I think like most, most, my interest was piqued by the rumor surrounding Shane McMahon's crazy idea. He had a, he had for a return to some kind of brawl for all concept. Well, we got raw underground and I can tell you that it was definitely not worth staying up till 4am for WWE took what was at least an interesting concept and totally killed it with overproduction. Way too many camera cuts and Shane McMahon trying to play Joe Rogan by shouting over the top every fight. I just don't understand what audience they had in mind when producing this. It's clear that WWE's core audience will watch whatever is put in front of them. So was this an attempt to bring back Laps fans? If that is the case, then why would 15 minutes of shoot fights spread across three hours entice them to sit through a whole show of the same old dry content? It just doesn't make sense. Noah from Vaughn, the only reason I watched Raw tonight was to see how horrible it would be, and I was not disappointed. This show sucked. From stupid finishes, like that baszler Oscar match, to boxes falling over being noteworthy, this show has fallen off a clip creatively. This show is getting as bad as it was during that stretch when we had Drake Maverick pissing himself on TV, and Ambrose getting, sh- getting shots in his ass. One and a half out of ten. Only good thing was the Drew Randy segment. Alex from Portland Underground says, Raw Underground was everything wrong with the company, but it was the most credible Dolph Ziggler has looked in years. That was like a 15-second thing. Um, I'll say, though, to me, if this is designed to try and help people, Ziggler would not be high on my list. Like, yes, he can do this style, but to me, like, the the die has been cast on Dolph Ziggler. Like, to me, there is... I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I think he was just a guy to fill, you know... A, a scene 
and who happened to have a shoot background. He'll probably end up like jobbing to some guy in like, well, that's a fine. match. That's fine. He can you he can lose to Daba. Daba Daba Kaba Yaba. He says, uh, on a show where your U.S. champion returned, reclaimed his position, and snagged a new belt, Apollo felt like an afterthought after everything else that happened tonight. If the Hurt Business is locked up with whatever Raw Underground is, who does Apollo face at SummerSlam? Well, MVP. Yeah, set that up. I mean, an afterthought in the sense so much happened on this show, and he was in the first segment. Um, His promo was fine. It was very evident in the promo that he has gained a lot of confidence doing mm. promos. Like just, I think he knows that, Hey, they're, they're really behind me and I'm going to rise to the occasion. And he'd been off TV for a long time. So he probably had uh, a long time to, you know, practice his promos and be ready for his comeback whenever it happened. But I, I think Apollo, like he's, he's in fine shape. Like he's, he's not all the way there, but I think he's been handled very well and was handled well tonight. To me, the absence was the biggest problem. Like, beyond, like, not being on TV, his story really has had no advancement in over a month. You know, this whole MVP thing, creating a second belt, and then him having to win the belt back. There's There really wasn't much meat to it anyway. Now that he's done with it, let's move him on to, like, something, you know, uh, more interesting. Last one here is Trevor from Edmonton. I actually didn't mind the Raw Underground segments. I like the presentation, and I like that WWE is trying something different, but don't know what the purpose is. What's in it for the wrestlers to do these types of fights? Is it a separate division? There are a lot of questions, but I'm not sure I'll be tuning in to find out the answers. So, at the very least, it seems like it got people to tune in, uh, but how many people will continue to tune in? It seems like it's a mixed bag of uh, of, of responses. Yeah, it's like, I, I think, obviously, with next week's taped, it's going to be graded very much on did this did this the intent is simply the third hour that's it that's all it's going to be graded upon and if they're dismal third hour numbers then when they do their next set of tapings in two weeks uh, we'll see they either will be digging their heels in and be stubborn about we're going to get this thing over or it's going to be uh we're, we're on to the next thing this didn't work mm-hmm yeah I, for one, hope that they stick with it. I mean, everything takes time, and, and in one week, you're not going to uh, fix everything. But I, there are certainly things I think they could take away from, like, this week that I hope they do address. And number one is the the camera shit. Um, dancers, I hope, are, are next to go. But there are potential positives to come out of it. That, that's my opinion. Okay, well, what a packed edition of Rewind to Raw and... That's going to wrap things up. We're going to be back Tuesday. Uh, look out on the site. We've got the interview that Andrew Thompson is conducting with Fred Yehi. And then Tuesday night, Way and I are going to be chatting Capital Carnage 1998 for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. We've got Steve Austin versus The Undertaker versus Kane versus Mankind. It's 1998. It's a WWF main event. That means Fatal 4-Way. We've also got The Rock several weeks after winning the WWF title for the first time defending against X-Pac. What else do we have on this show? Uh, we've got appearances from Val Venus. We've got, of course, a really, really po- um, well, um, uh, a segment involving uh, Sable and Jackie that um, you may or may not remember. Um, anyway, uh, we've got Vince McMahon speaking at Oxford University. We've got D'Lo Brown taking a tour of uh, London, England. Of course, D'Lo as a European um, himself. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, a lot of wackiness in the show. And the hard man, Vinnie Jones. Oh, 
Was that his actual nickname? That's what they called him multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, it's really strange. Okay. Have you started Capital Carnage? I have. Oh. Yes. Do okay. not worry. I only have about an hour left, so I'm in good shape. Okay. Well, then tune in to Rewind Away, number 67, Tuesday night, Cafe members. As Vinnie Jones would say, it will be emotional. <laughs> <laughs>